You're listening to And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club, the podcast where we talk about all the good pop culture that gets us through our days. With me to chat about said pop culture, we have self-proclaimed professional anxious Asian American, Just Jew. Hey, Marvin. How are the anxiety levels this week? Um, it's already at an all-time high. I don't know how it's going to get any higher, but it will. And I'm just trying to... I don't believe in meditating. I find it very boring. But I'm just trying to bathe myself in distractions and warm distractions. And I just got back to California, so I'm already feeling slightly better. <laughs> Weather-wise and temperate. I'm, 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 I'm telling you, I'm a, I am a temperate lady. I am like a very delicate instrument, not not musical, like a, like a tech instrument in which the optimal, like a computer chip, the optimal like temperature range is like sixty-eight to seventy-three. Anything beyond that, and I just stop working. Um, so I'm glad to be back. So you, basically, you're just a SoCal girl at heart. Oh uh, yeah. Born and raised. Born and raised. Yes. My body's that. Well, I'm also allergic to stuff. I'm allergic to like the air here, but like, that's fine. Like, I'll deal with that. Um, And as long as I'm not sweating all the time, I, I can take on other things. Yeah. Also joining us, professional culture editor Han Wen. Hey there. Um, I'm also allergic to a lot of things, especially growing up I was. But, you know, you learn to deal with it. And I don't really notice stuff anymore. See, I don't really have that many allergies, so I don't understand what that means. I do have allergic reactions sometimes to shellfish or seafood. That's not oh. super fresh, but I don't know exactly what it is. But occasionally I get hives from seafood. But I can't eat bananas. What? Yeah. What? That's like fairly yeah. common. Yeah, especially among I've Asians or, f- or from the tropical regions, I think. Mm. Um, Isn't that ironic? Mm. You can't eat the most like tropical of fruits. I have a cousin who's allergic to stone fruits. So, um, yeah. Oh, that's terrible. For me, it really is a lot of tropical yeah, fruits my- like bananas. So, pineapples also and coconut and then mm. coffee. Oh. <gasps> And coffee. So those things oh, are what? like all... You're allergic to coffee? They're all... It's more of like a um, in, 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 intolerance, kind of like how some people react to milk. So for me, it's those things. So my body like gets... Stomach gets upset, you know, um, like with bananas, even smelling it makes me want to puke. Um, so wow. yeah, it's it's very, very odd. But that means when I travel to, let's say, Hawaii, it's very hard sometimes to order a drink <laughs> or, or you know, other things like desserts, because sometimes there's hidden like coconut and coffee in there because they're so proud of their stuff, you know, which they rightfully so. But, you know, there are plenty of other things. I just have to be careful. Oh, my, my boyfriend is allergic to like bananas ah, and another one. melon and um, surprisingly avocado. And that, that last one I keep forgetting. <laughs> and every time we go out together or like he's over, I was like, oh, you've made avocado toast. He's like, uh, I can't eat that. And I'm like, oh, shoot, you're right. I just That's love so avocado sad. toast. That's I don't bit- actually like avocado. So that I would be down with, you know, whatever his diet is probably. I do. I should eat more avocados though, because even though my bad cholesterol is down, my good cholesterol is also down. Oh, yeah. Since you can't eat. Yeah. Healthy since you can't have fats. your seafood. Might as well do that. It's especially bad when my dad comes back into town because there's a place. Well, we can't go there now, but there's a place near my house. It's a seafood place that does dim sum in the afternoon. But 
At night, they have a lobster special. Wait. $5 a pound if you order three other dishes. Is this Capital? No. Um, probably, I don't know. <laughs> I just know where it is. I don't, oh, my God. Do you guys do this where you keep track of where the restaurants are, but you don't exactly know what they're called? <laughs> oh, 100%. Or like they have a different English name and a different Chinese name. And you're just like, oh, it's that one, rest- it's that one restaurant with that tank on you know valley in the same plaza as so and so but on like the left side not the right side i mean that's for me in houston but there is one place in uh la that i did that because literally the sign doesn't have english on it so it's a korean place that i've always gone to for my uh korean barbecue but yeah we just call it the food place oh it's the duck place or it's the crab place (laughs) or it's the shrimp place yeah or it's it's the sizzling (laughs) plate place yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really um, hard when you're trying to convey information to friends who are mm-hmm. either not from L.A. originally and didn't grow up with yeah. you. It's the worst when you're trying to like, yeah. convince them to go to a place. And it's like, well, I can't send you the Yelp information because I don't know what it's called. <laughs> yeah, or you like kind of <laughs> can find the address, but it's like not listed on the Google Maps. So you just kind of give them the like general <laughs> plaza address and then you're like having to describe... Like, okay, so you're going to look at it and you're going to see a restaurant that looks like this that's called Something Cafe. It's not that (laughs) one. You have to go to the left, which happened to me. One of my friends moved from like somewhere in the valley. I think he like he's from L.A. He's from Eagle Rock. And then he was living in NoHo for a while, then moved to my hood, Mm -hmm. our hood, Marvin. And I was like, okay, I need to show you. Like, I'm going to take you around. And he doesn't speak like any Chinese. um, So I was like, okay, I'm just going to show you around. Take notes. I don't even know what the dish is called. Like, I'm just going to give you a number. Like, this is the food tour. Okay, take (laughs) notes. Yeah. It's a fun time, though. These are things that only, only us children of immigrants can relate to yeah maybe we should stop talking about this because i don't want people to be blowing up <laughs> i mean spots. if they find it just based on the, your description right now then i would be amazed <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah lobster place check it out <laughs> um, <laughs> well this week we're going to revisit the hbo series lovecraft country that just finished its first season run as well as talk about spooky movies because it is spooky month 2020 um halloween is is it next week i've lost track of uh, all time it is next Saturday, which is such a shame. Such a shame. You know, you get our first Saturday Halloween in a while. And yeah, the camp, no Halloween. Are you going to dress up, Jess? You seem like the type who would dress up no matter what. Yes. Yes, I'm going to dress up as the sexy Jolly Bee. Oh, that sounds so cute. <laughs> Does the Jolly Bee Bee have a name? I think he's the Jolly Bee. <laughs> Are you going to be serving spaghetti and fried chicken? I was going to dress my dog up as like a chicken joy, like a drumstick. Uh, Or like maybe, honestly, I think this is just an excuse for me to go get myself some hollow hollow. But I it started off as a joke with my boyfriend who, again, don't know if you know this. He's Filipino. (laughs) And then I was like, you know what? I've put it out there. Let's make it happen. And then his response is always sexy Jollibee is redundant. <laughs> I was like, that's fair. You know what? I actually didn't know he was Filipino, but now I've heard it twice this episode. So it must be true. He's a man who knows what he likes. Some sexy Jollibee. Yeah. <clears throat> sexy Jollibee. You know, I got he's still stuck in Florida. I got to, you know, I got to mm-hmm. give him something to look forward to. It's it's like, you know, when you used to send like sexy pictures to your like <laughs> 
your like lover who's serving overseas. Like that's like Florida. A it's a war zone. A picture oh of a three piece combo. Oh my god, he he. If if I could find a way to get Jolly B to him in one piece with the integrity, I would. But there's there's no mm. way to do that. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of dressing up. I've always been super lazy about it, and it's great because uh, my current partner hates dressing up, so it works perfectly for us. There's so many good Asian <laughs> characters now, Marvin. More, so much more than in our youth. You have so many. What options is the hot now. costume this year? Okay, so we were looking at that because usually there's a sexy version of something, and so uh, the yeah. the the company that usually makes that sexy version of whatever is called Yandy. This year, they said <laughs> yes. they are not going to do a sexy coronavirus, but they have made a sexy uh, mail-in ballot. And I think a sexy banana bread um, costume. <laughs> I think the sexy costume of the year should be sexy Anthony Fauci. Yeah, but I don't know how you would and how like that, well, that work. it's. I mean, it's just what's underneath the doctor's coat, um, <laughs> which is right? nothing. Well, maybe a stethoscope, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Let me take your temperature. I do. I do appreciate the concept of sexy frontline workers. I think, um, although frontline workers should not be wearing skimpy clothes because they're exposed, right? Uh, I mean, you know, if it's a costume, I think it all works because you know, first of all, a lot of people do have a medical fetish. Um, then whoa, whoa, the- whoa! <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people do. It is a definite fetish. Um, and then if you talk about other essential workers, like, you know, working construction, you know, that's a, a known sort of, you know, sexy costume. So I don't know. I think it could work. <laughs> I do love the sites. You know, they obviously cannot violate copyright law. So the names of the costumes are always like they ran it through a synonym <laughs> generator. So instead of a. Uh, like uh, I'm looking at this right now. There's a in, uh, instead of a like there's a f- nightmare doll, sexy nightmare doll costume, which is obviously a Chucky thing. Uh, there is a you know these are not da- oh daddy's little disaster costume. Uh, that's that's a ripoff of the Birds of Prey Harley Quinn one. These are these aren't as bad. I've seen some pretty bad ones like Midnight Pumpkin Princess, Sexy Midnight Half Curfew Princess, which is Cinderella. It's like you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> these aren't terrible. Am I just not looking in the right place? I mean, it depends on which the which costume you're looking at. They have to get. Um, I, I mean, I'll mention one later. But yeah, I, you know what? I actually used to dress up all the time, um, and go, put a lot of thought into my costumes and stuff, and like like creating them and sewing them and making the you know headpieces and stuff. And then later on, I just realized, like, you know what? I hate sweating. So for me, if it's a costume, it has to be something where I'm not really covered up. Um, and that has definitely limited my costumes over the uh, more recent years. 
Well, I like my prime like sexy Halloween costume wearing days were in college, but you know, it gets very cold in October in the Bay Area. So you just had to commit to being cold for the rest of the night or to be you either had to be cold or you got to be sexy. <laughs> like or, or you had to be cold and sexy or warm and like not <laughs> sexy. You just gotta make that choice at the beginning of the night and stick to it. Well, we all still have a week before Halloween, so um I guess if you're dressing up, get those costumes ready. And stay safe out there. Uh, but in the meantime, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through the week. Uh, Han, what's popping? All right. So stick with me here. There's two projects that are very feminist um, that are coming out on Friday, October 23rd. So you'll probably, you know, around the time that this podcast comes out um, and you can watch it. So one is very obviously feminist, which is called The Queen's Gambit. It is a limited series um, that stars Anya Taylor-Joy, who is the star of Emma, and it's a period piece where basically she's a chess prodigy in the 60s and 70s and um, starts playing against all these dudes and beats their asses. Um, But she's also, because they're trying to make draw a line between genius and sort of mental health, she also has issues. So she's an addict. Um, She gets hooked on tranquilizers when she's in the orphanage when she's growing up. And she also gets introduced to alcohol later on. Um, This is a lot. You've thrown a lot in this pot already. Very exciting, though, because the chess, they do not play. Like, I mean, they literally do play it. But I meant they don't like mess around. It's like with, serious like, chess, right? Okay. It's serious chess. If you actually know chess, you'll be very elated. Even if you don't know chess, the way they play it and how they shoot it and everything is so intense. It's very exciting. Um, and of course, you know, she's a, a favorite actress of mine, but everything, you know, she does, you know, she has these huge eyes and just it plays out all on her face. So just the whole thing is a great performance. It's the most exciting, sexiest chest you will see. Um, mm. And I highly recommend it. It's also because it's a period piece and like she eventually becomes like this clothes horse. Um, the fashions get to be really cool looking too. Um, yeah, I thought it was a very good time. You know, seven episodes, pretty quick. Um, and that's one recommendation. Now, the second one I just watched and it is Borat's subsequent movie film, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. Borat 2. <laughs> And yes, it is feminist. And I was surprised about this also because um, basically he once again plays the uh, foreign journalist who, when you were talking about the Halloween costumes, by the way, he literally does go to a Halloween store and sees a Borat costume and it's called something like foreign correspondent or something like that. (laughs) Um, But uh, so, yeah, so Sasha Baron Cohen plays Borat. uh, I forgot his last name who is supposedly from Kazakhstan. I'm sure they don't like his portrayal of um, someone from Kazakhstan, but he doesn't even look Kazakh. Like Stani? Actual Kazakh people look more Asian than anything else. Yeah. uh, (laughs) There's a lot, I'm sure, that is not supposed to be taken, you know, (laughs) literally or seriously. Um, But it's a convoluted story in how he gets back to America. Basically, he's supposed to bribe um, Pence with a uh, monkey, but instead of a monkey, his grown his teenage daughter, you know, takes its place. And so he's like, "Oh, well, we can offer Pence the daughter, which is cool because you know, in 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 this country or in the Kazakhstan in the movie, you know, daughters are treated like cattle." 
who would have thought that Borat would be coming back in 2020 and apparently still relevant? Uh, what a what a time. Do, do we need this? Do we need this, Han? I, whether or not we need it, like, I, I think a lot of these things we don't necessarily need, but I think everyone is desperate to try and fight against something. So... I have to say that the, the fact that they were able to put this together, they they must have started shooting like last year because some of the dates of things are interesting. But yeah, so I, I think, you know what? I My opinion is that this might reach some people that maybe straightforward documentaries do not. That's fair. You're you're being you're <laughs> <Yes>. very kind. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, what's popping with you, Jess? I decided to binge watch Watchmen like a year later in a span of like 18 hours and whew, what a wild ride guys it really enjoyed it actually and obviously there's going to be comparisons between Watchmen and Lovecraft Country which we're going to talk about today but um i i i mean Regina King amazing um and Cal i'm going to butcher his name but um, I know his last name is Abdul Mateen. Uh, he is he's like like really really handsome. Like it's it was very upsetting. Like I was just very very like, and his character was such like a great husband. I'm like I'm like very. Have into you this. seen? Let's see the most recent season of Black Mirror, but also the trial of the Chicago Seven on Netflix. I have not seen okay, it he's, yet. He's in Is that. He, in he has a really good role, even though it's uh, not throughout the whole movie. But he's very good in it. He does. He looks different because it is the seventies. <laughs> I had no interest in watching that before, and now yeah. I will check it out because it is free on Netflix. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed him as in in Aquaman. <laughs> I remember him from Aquaman, and uh, he is he's a Cal graduate, go Bears. Uh, and it was just it was it was wild you know I was a little too young to really be swept up in the Lost train but if this is basically what Lost was like but for like 23 episodes over the span of once a week and then you have to wait for the holiday hiatus and everything holy crap how did people like live back I feel then? like Lost was a little bit more and meandering because they didn't really get their act together until like the last until they decided they were going to end the series um, Watchmen by itself was a lot tighter right I think and it definitely had a oh yeah nine episodes and the, he i think everyone who worked on lost came out with it maybe except jj <laughs> abrams being like you yo you cannot start to ask all these questions if you do not have an answer to them because everything in watchmen was wrapped up quite nicely um there were still very lindelof hoffy was it lindel lindel damon lindelof there were still some like there's some Lindell Hoffian, Hasselhoffian things like like just introducing random shit without ever really elaborating in that way that they do. Uh, but overall, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I'm actually not really a genre person, a superhero genre person. But this world that they created is so rooted in like history and truth and how humans, I think, would have reacted. And it's it's as a history buff, I found that very exciting um you know this whole idea of robert redford being president kind of starts off as a joke but actually has like very deep seated effects on the world we they live in I mean, not just present uh, but present for life yeah I, 
Yeah, oh, I the missed that like part. Korean War, right? Abolish the term limits. <laughs> oh. And I just, because I remember the first time you just see him like as a report on the back the window dressing basically of uh, the classroom that Regina George is in. And then it's just like everything ties into it almost, I almost feel bad enjoying the like conspiracy buildingness of the storyline. I, I won't elaborate more in case anyone hasn't seen it yet, but it's just like a part of me is like, Oh, like this is like if like the QAnon people <laughs> were like, right. Like it's, a, it's like, but you know, like, the other side and but I, I just thought it was it was so crazy like every episode i'm like what like i i, I yelled that to myself several times per episode i was like where is this going i don't have the deepest knowledge of the source material but i know enough where i was able to pick up on some of the easter eggs so that really helped i cannot imagine if you jumped into this with zero knowledge of watchmen as just an ip like how you would even be able to follow what the hell is going on. I mean, on. I think what the series does really well, like the limited series, is inject a lot of the civil rights storytelling of that era that was kind of missing in the original source material. Right? The original source material was more of a it was a critique on superhero fiction of the era. And this one takes it one step further. Um it's interesting that this came out a year before Lovecraft Country because you, there's literally like the main event that sets off this series is a major plot point in Lovecraft Country, like the the Tulsa race riots. Yeah. Tulsa yeah. massacre. And yeah. yeah, it's just, it's interesting too because I'm pretty sure, sh- I don't know if they were written around the same time and maybe Watchmen just got produced and out faster because I know Lovecraft Country has been written and or was being written you know, yeah. several years before. Um, so it's, it, and you know, I, I'm sure the same happened with Watchmen and all of this, you know, the things about Watchmen, like white supremacy and clans, you know, the clan and all this, like, it's so relevant now. <laughs> <laughs> and vigilantism, right? And, and masks. And I'm like, oh, but this was written years ago, released in yeah. 2019. I was like, Man, it's crazy. But I mean, as we've learned through living through the last four years, that's just never gone away since the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Just different form. But I would highly recommend it, even if you're not a genre person. It's, it's, it is jumping deep into the, it's jumping into a deep end, but so much is thrown at you. You're, I call this maximalist TV. Basically, it is like the (laughs) opposite of Mad Men, which, I actually do not like. I do not like this like subtle, gr- like super grounded drama. I was like, why? This is just like watching people in life, maybe, <laughs> but like everyone's more attractive. Like, throw me everything you got and like keep me guessing, keep my head spinning. I've been enjoying that a lot lately. So just, just try it out. It's all available on HBO Max. Thank God. I would do not know how people would have been able to wait week by week for this <laughs> series. It's insane. Uh, super, and the and and regardless, acting is phenomenal. Like yeah. stacked cast, Jeremy Irons and <laughs> Regina King, and oh my god, Tom Meisen. Hot. I don't know if you know Tom Meisen. Sleepy Hollow. He is. It's so weird. He, I found him so hot in Sleepy Hollow. He was the main character. He was Ichabod Crane in Sleepy Hollow, and he has this like really great beard. And he does not. He's in this show, and he does not have a beard, and he's unrecognizable, and he looks totally different, and like totally not as hot. And I'm like, whoa, 
I was like, Tom Meisen, you should always have a beard. Respects to Tom Meisen. um, There has to be something like, I think there's like an internet term for a guy, a man who just looks hotter, all dirtied up. (sighs) Like there's some guys who like once you James Bond it and like you put them in like clean cut clothes and tuxedos like who and there's like an opposite version where you like give him like a lumberjack beard and like rub some dirt in his face and he gets like infinitely hotter. Tom Eisen is definitely the latter. Is that is that's the Dev Patel effect, right? Yes. Well, Dev Patel is still pretty like he the beard definitely like daddies him up um but he's like pretty handsome like like it has to be like a little grimy <laughs> like he has to look a little dirty so i actually don't mind tom Meisen clean shaven but i do agree that ichabod crane is hotter right but marvin what's popping with you what depressing ass <laughs> piece of pop culture have you been consuming i honestly haven't been consuming that much this past week i've been busy with helping out with a couple projects i'm working on a couple fictional Ooh. podcasts that's coming up that for a couple Asian American theater companies, actually. Um, but I guess I can take this opportunity to um, plug, once again, the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival, in which I'm a programmer for. It's still going on. It's the last two weeks of the festival. It ends next weekend. Um, and I actually have two films this week that I uh, program myself. And so I'll be leading a couple panel discussions for those films um, this weekend. One of the films is called One Meal, um, directed by Yu Chen Hao. It's a story that's, it's a relatively shorter feature film. It's only about like 46 minutes um, that takes place in L.A. Chinatown. Um, It's a story about an immigrant family who runs a restaurant um, and stars the daughter played by Michelle Sun, who wants to support her father as a cook in the kitchen to help develop his recipes, uh, but runs into resistance because her father wants her to um, focus more on being um, finding a good husband and leaving the cooking to the men in the kitchen. And he also disapproves of her um, trying new things with his menu because he doesn't think that's what will sell in America. So kind of a story about intergenerational conflict between two generations of first-generation immigrants, which is something you don't necessarily see that often in Asian American film. How good is the food? How, Yeah, how hungry am I gonna, is it going to make me? Should I be like have food in front of me as I'm watching it? It's actually not really a food porn type of um, film. The food featured in it is more comfort food. And to be honest, there's only really one dish that's really highlighted in the film, which is chinzui, um, which is just steamed fish. Yeah, but I really enjoyed it. And it's definitely something you should check out this weekend at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. One meal. And what's the other one? Yeah, the other film that I programmed is uh, actually something that um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago for my What's Poppin'. Um, it's the documentary Omnibus from Pacific Arts Movement, which is the um, Asian American film, I guess, society down in San Diego. It's called The Paradise We're Looking For. And again, that film is a collection of four documentary shorts featuring Asian American stories uh, from San Diego. Um, as someone who lived a good portion of my life down there for school and work i really enjoyed this series of shorts and it's definitely worth watching um to gain a perspective of asian american culture from a community that isn't often portrayed in media um so definitely check that out um both of these films are available to stream now um until sunday as part of the los angeles asian pacific film festival you can find out more information on how to um screen these movies by going to the website festival.vcmedia.org and with that that's what's popping for this week Uh, when we come back we're talking about lovecraft country and spooky movies stick around 
Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, it's been about 10 weeks since we last talked about Lovecraft Country, but the season finale just aired this past weekend. And so we're going to revisit the series that we started, as well as talk about spooky films in general. Because like we mentioned, it is spooky month. And it's times like these that people get in the mood for some spooky movies. Uh, but first, I guess, um, what did y'all think about how Lovecraft Country turned out? So I was actually a fan of the sort of the anthology aspect where each episode had its own sort of theme or genre. You know, like there was that sort of Indiana Jonesy one. And then, of course, there's the one that was set in Korea during the Korean War. Um, so. The end, I felt, was just kind of continuing the the ongoing plot threads from throughout the series. And maybe because of that, um, I don't feel like it was quite as strong, like as far as an impact. Um, so, But it did conclude sort of, like I was saying, that ongoing thread where um, it's bringing magic into the world as far as through a black context, which I think is really important. Because usually when we see magic, it's a lot of white people, you know, from Lord of the Rings to, you know, witches and stuff like that. So that I thought was interesting. And especially because it's very, very much in the last episode, very strongly about the women and how they are able to wield magic from, you know, the Hippolyta character who is basically like, you know, uh, a scientist slash physicist, well, whatever. Um, and then down to the daughter D, who you know draws comic books, but then later ends up having a cybernetic arm. So <laughs> it's just kind of I just liked seeing women that strong. I don't know how I felt about how it all came together though. I think it was kind of thrown together. Um, and I I don't I don't quibble with it, but yeah, I think it could have been stronger. Uh, what do you think, Jess? I. It was a wild ride. <laughs> wild. Definitely. I mean, very much in the same vein of maximalist television of just let's throw the whole freaking chick kitchen into the pot, which I do appreciate. And I was never bored. But I have probably more questions <laughs> at the end than I did in the beginning. And I don't know if the rest of the series lived up to how I felt about the first the pilot because I thought the pilot was just so well done um I mean granted we we I, I or I maybe I kind of wish the pilot would have hinted a little bit more about what was to come because it was so disparate right like we we it wasn't just monsters it was magic and time travel and curses and all this stuff and I just was like whiplash so and this is like a 10 
episode series with maybe like six main characters at the end of the day. And I I did love some of the anthology episodes and spending time, but at the, I do think like, I don't know. I feel like I was missing every every minute that we spent in an anthology tangent we basically weren't getting movement for the main story and i do think like the main story scope was so big like the mythology of the ma- main thing about the kurt you know the, the the family and like his family on his mom's side and them trying to her and christina creepy white lady trying to find immortality and like calling this like cursing or autumn spells and i was just like it was so big and i wish they would have spent a little more time and really establishing the rules because i do think in the world of genre whether it's magic sci-fi you have to establish the rules and make it very clear so we understand what the stakes are and i just didn't really understand what the whole stakes were yeah i was surprised that it turned out to be kind of like a monster of the week type of series like you said an anthology rather than a straight kind of serial series um while I was appreciative of all these different types of stories that they wanted to tell, I wasn't sure if it served the main story because the finale episode was probably the most concerned with the main storyline that we've had in a while. And I, I agree that it was probably one of the weaker episodes yeah. because, I mean, all the things that they were setting up about all the characters, um, I felt like I was kind of let down by how it all resolved. Um, especially like the deus ex machina of the final climax that was like i i didn't feel like it was entirely earned and i feel like if you want to call this series lovecraft country like the lovecraftian of it i don't know if that was really pulled off because lovecraft mythos is all about like cosmic horrors and things outside the control of people and while i did appreciate all the other stories like the haunted house story and the time travels and the parallel universe story i felt like they should have tied those to like the overarching lovecraftiness of it. Yeah. I hadn't read the book, so I don't know how much of a departure it is, but I mean, I'm I wouldn't be surprised about like some of those anthology episodes definitely not appearing in there. <laughs> you know? So I I do agree that I would have liked to have had a little bit more consistency with the main storyline. Even if it meant that, yeah, you can have these anthology one-off episodes, which I thought were still very good, but you do need to still build the ongoing storyline with more episodes, perhaps. Um, Maybe there was just, like, no limit. yeah. I mean, I don't even know if that is, that's the issue. I think it's more, like, the way that it all came together was not as tight as I wish it would be. Because every episode, even though it was like a Monster of the Week type of thing, little parts of the mystery was starting to get unraveled, right? Everything had to do with like the history of the family and this like wizard society that they're they're fighting against of like, you know, white supremacist wizards. But I did appreciate, and I think this is something that probably the producers wanted to do was showcase all the different types of stories that can be centered on blackness. Like during the the haunted house episode, um, Jess's favorite episode, which get, didn't give her nightmares at all. No nightmares um, at all. Just just a sense of <laughs> just a sense of my own mortality and acceptance that I was going to die in the middle of Joshua Tree. But yeah, that's fine. The ghost story has its roots in like a you know a white supremacist like mad scientist, right? That's the root cause of it. But at the same, while they're dealing with 
these ghosts, they're also dealing with literal races trying to like harass them out of their home. I, I think that tension was still really, really well done. I did think those that was a more successful episode, the haunted house one, because it was so clear and focused on the theme. I think, I mean, everyone kind of understands how a haunted house genre works right or the broad strokes of it i think when it gets to the other parts like a general sci-fi or a general like time travel those are all very different so when you're not i think i think i just don't think the rules were really laid down laid down in a way that we could understand what was gonna be flipped besides the <laughs> centering of you know, black hair heroes and heroines. Though it was, I mean, yeah. but the thing is, like, every episode had some pretty amazing moments, and every and like this cast is phenomenal. Like, regardless, like the cast had to do some crazy, insane things that lesser, like some, like let's see, let's be real. Some of those lines were not great, and they had to do, <laughs> and they had to do some crazy ass shit. Like, I'm just like, and they just had to sell it, and I think they all did a phenomenal job. And I don't know what other show would be would give the shine on people like Jonathan Majors and Journey Smollett and, you know, like Courtney B. Vance, who I'm really surprised they did not bring him back for in a more meaningful way because it's Courtney B. Vance. Yeah. And it's Courtney B. Vance. He's amazing. Um, and, you know, down to Montrose and even, even Jamie Chung and like the side characters or, or whoever, well, the sister who is played by Wumi, uh, Ruby. Wumi Moscow. Ma- yeah. Oh my god, she's fantastic. Like Yeah. But most definitely. But I will s- I mean, let's talk about yeah. that episode that Jamie Chung was featured in because I feel like that at least in the Asian American uh media world made the mo- biggest splash when it came out. Um Jamie Chung is a is someone who's been around for a while, right? She started off, she made her debut as a cast member of The Real World, San Diego, San Diego. <laughs> I just I'm I just love her. I'm so proud of her. Like my god, to like have she she's done some voiceover stuff. She was in Big Hero 6. She's like been building her resume, her acting resume and she was fantastic in this. So cute, so charming, but like also real creepy when you know I did ask I did text my boyfriend he's asleep. I was like Hey babe, if I was actually a nine-tailed fox who was sent here to collect the souls of a hundred men by sleeping with them, would you st- <laughs> would you still love me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for an answer. Um, but she she really carried that episode. Uh, not a perfect episode. I have some qualms about the stuff. I feel like spoiler alert: killing your best friend is a deal breaker. You should not date a man. Yeah. Who killed your best friend? I feel like that's a war crime, or it should be. I feel like you can't, you should not be able to drag a bunch of civilians into a base camp and just like yeah. shoot them execution style. I did have a qualm with that. Kind of like I did not sympathize with um, Tick. Tick at that point, and at that point, even though I knew he survived and went back to the states, I wouldn't have minded if she stole his soul right there. Yeah. Like girl, have some mm, like I don't know if I believe the loves happened already. Like, can you just can you just you know, pop them, pop it, and get your get your one hundred? I will say when you talk about like gumi hose or like um 
nine tail foxes, um, Huli Jing in Chinese mythology. That's probably one of the <laughs> grossest depictions of a nine tail fox I've ever seen in my oh life. Oh my god, when it comes out of her, like every orifice, I'm like, woohoo! I was like, you guys going there? What? And then they just pop. Like like boop, like a balloon, and I was like, I. Uh, other than that part, the her little like sex dungeon thing is like really nice. Yeah. like the candles. Pour one out for uh, James Tyson, who <laughs> was only there to do it. To I do mean, it he was he was married though, right? Like he was cheating on his wife. So oh, totally. I don't know. You kind of deserve it <laughs> if you're cheating on your if you're stepping out on your family like that. It's, it's sorry, such a, not sorry. It's such a fun, fun cameo, though, because that's always what you want is like, hey, if I'm famous enough and you just want me to have a really nice cameo, yeah, kill me off. It's fun. And also get naked while you're doing it. Come on. He looks good, though. Like, he's uh-huh. been working out. He's been keeping it tight. We respect to James Kyson Lee. Props to the Lovecraft Country team for having the guts to do an entire episode that's like 80% in Korean and subtitled. Like for Prestige TV, that's that's pretty ballsy, I feel like. They also like. have to get the rights to all those Judy Garland movies, which is not cheap. Um, and having watched a lot of those films growing up, I thought that was a really nice touch that she was into them. So, yeah, it, I, I thought that was pretty good. It was it was one of the, I thought, better. Uh, it, it, it built character in a way that I would have loved for a lot more of the other characters. But, you know, she got her own episode. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And I do like Jamie Chung's character, Jia, was so strong in that episode that I was actually actively upset at how badly she was used for the rest of the series, especially for yeah. the climax. I don't yeah. I don't know how many people yeah. like they just were trying to stuff them all in for that finale. So I I don't love that she got sort of like just used basically like hey here she is until yeah i mean she was literally just a plot device for like fulfilling a prophecy and like i wish they could have done more with it and they were trying to do a lot of things that there was no way they could have like wrapped it all up in one finale episode so i kind of wish they didn't yeah well that's also why i was saying like add an extra episode if you could have you know just to like Mm -hmm. give time to breathe because all of a sudden like Tick and Gia are reunited and he's like, you're my family now and now you're in a car with me and everyone's singing. And it's kind of like, no, I don't know how how, <laughs> how quickly I would just jump. It's a little yeah, too Yeah, so it's just like, just just make, give it time to like actually play out those emotions and her being like, oh, this is your baby mama? You know, <laughs> and just all of that. Like, this is normal stuff. Um, and then, you know, end up having them be friends or something eventually but yeah not just like in a in a car together singing one song it was just very weird (laughs) it felt very rushed i mean and just going back to the whole you know being in a an an american soldier who kills your best friend and committed war crimes and maybe not falling in love with them i i will have to say that some of the ways that this show has handled some portrayals (laughs) Not great. Uh, I think it, it's you know. I think I think Misha Green, the showrunner, has like owned up to some of the problematic things, and it's just. I just think. I mean, I think at some cases the strokes are just too broad, and I get that it's horror is genre. It's supposed to be gory, and some. Of, I mean, I don't know what psychology psychologically this says about me. Like when the white races who are trying to like, you know kill the you know beat up and do violence to the people in the house who are like getting their heads chopped off i'm like cool 
they got their comeuppance. I'm happy. But like, you know, every other instance where there was like some kind of violence or trauma against people of color, whether they're black, Native American, even or or Asian, I was just like very uncomfortable. And I was like, is this necessary? There was there was it was quite violent. And I'm like, it's HBO. A certain like certain, you know, I kind of get it. But it's like, is it is it trauma porn? Like, did I need to see yeah. the like gram his great grandma burning alive like for the story? Was that necessary to the story? Like, did like why did Montrose need to like slit the throat of a Native American like like yeah. Adam's language speak? I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. And this isn't to say that like only white people can be like racist and traumatic to like people of color. But the fact that like, even in that um, return to Daegu episode, like the violence done to the -hmm. nurses were all done by people of color. And (laughs) that really like, I know it happened, but at the same time I was like, interesting choice. It's just, it's just hard whiplash because, you know, Tick is set up as our hero and I get that. Like that was a narrative choice to complicate things, but it was so, it was like for she forgave him so fast that I don't think it was like as an audience member. I was like, I haven't forgiven you yet. So I, I do think this is another instance of needing the show actually needing more time to breathe and that, you know, they were throwing so much at it that we didn't have time for these earned redemptions. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think that was my issue with that. That whole conflict was I don't think he ever even repented or atoned for it right like even when she confronted him about it he was making excuses yeah. i this is also it's the the use of these characters who are not the main characters uh all the korean nurses who were just shot and then like you were saying the native american lady um it's just like they they were devices and they were not fully fledged people and i don't like that <laughs> um so <laughs> Also, you know, any of them could have been, I'm not saying kill them and make them all be men, but, you know, why were they all women? It was kind of weird. So, I mean, I feel like overall, I enjoyed watching because I wanted to see what they would do. Like Once the expectation was, oh, this is going to be an anthology monster of the week style of storytelling, I was really interested in like what they would do next, right? I didn't expect the whole time travel, multiple parallel universe conceit. Um the episode where you had like shape shifting was super interesting. I think they did a lot of interesting things. Definitely wasn't perfect, but at the same time, with any Jordan Peele like production, they were given the freedom to swing for it, which I appreciate. I appreciate that as well. And at the end of the day, I would rather reward big, crazy narrative swings that keeps art and TV interesting than the same old, same old. And that is something that this show can say that a lot of other shows can't, where it's like, you do not know what's going to happen next. And that's so hard. And like just today's like with all this content. And I think people are more, even if they're not aware of it, people are much more literate about structure and story structure than I think they were in the past. And so, you know, everyone's like, Oh, I know what's going to happen. It's obvious, but like this will show you could not really say that. And I think, I would rather I still would rather reward that and like encourage this kind of storytelling than the opposite than to shy away and just be like timid and like produce blah things. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of spooky movies, I know um 
by making just watch this series, we've forced her out of her comfort zone. Um, because like you're not the you're not the I, like spooky movies aren't the go to. No, for you, I right? hate spooky things because I am a I'm a, again very anxious. I startle so easily. I think I watched like Jeepers Creepers too much, like too young as a child, and like I had to sleep with my grandma for like three weeks. So when she was like living with us, and like my sister used to like E. T. used to scare me. Like that's my level. So <laughs> I I mean I've seen some of the I like thrillers. Like I love get out which i think is a thriller as opposed to a scary movie and silence of the lambs is a fantastic movie also think that's more thriller than horror but it's like a weird classification but i like to keep my halloween movies for quadrant friendly so hocus pocus casper <laughs> the friendly ghost the movie with the version with john cleese and uh, christina ricci is very good if you have not seen it uh and yeah i i i keep it i keep it a little yeah. happy who knew the casper movie can make you cry so much oh my god the casper movie was a lot of like women my generation that was a lot of our sexual awakenings okay because <laughs> devon sawa oh, when, when is, he became a yeah. yes devon sawa is perfect and shout out to kai Wu who has a casper tattoo on her ankle so <laughs> it's it's very impactful for a generation of women marvin I find that I, I don't mind occult stuff in the media that I consume. Like watching actual horror is not something that I seek out. I'll watch it if like I'm forced to. But I think there's certain stories that I gravitate towards. Like, I don't really like the torture porn type of movies. Like I don't like the like the violence porn type of movies. Slashers, I if there is kind of more of a satirical or comedic aspect to it, I might watch that more than like just the um oh let's see how these hot people die type of movies i'm not good with ghost stories um my one of my most um vivid memories in college was we went to go watch the ring me and a couple friends when it was in theaters and we caught the midnight screening so when we came out the theater the entire it was this is in san diego so when we came out the theater the entire parking lot was foggy (laughs) and it was like fucking scary you just played yourself so i don't know <laughs> especially because like the ring i did watch the ring it was one of the few scary movies i've watched in theaters and i mean I, I hid behind like my jacket the entire time but like the ring like it like attacks you and you have safe space like your bed your tv is like excuse me like and i had the tv in my room at the time and i was like this is very rude i do not like this and she's like asian so i felt a little personally or she, you know she's coded asian though even though it was like devade chase who voiced lilo by the way lilo and stitch and i felt very attacked oh like on multiple you're fronts ta- you're talking about the american ring you didn't watch ringu no no because i know i don't know a lot of things but i know the japanese movies scary movies like the international scary movies are always scarier than the american remake so i was like i ain't gonna play with that because you also have to read it you have to read the the subtitles and that means you have to watch the screen which means you can't hide i feel like asian ghost stories are just more scary in general i i just don't fuck with no ghosts (laughs) (laughs) well so, okay, so my background is I am actually on the level of chicken like you are, Jess. The unfortunate thing is because of my job, throughout the 15 years I've been doing this job, I've had to do a lot of research for horror um, for various reasons, whether it's movies that have like lots of references in them. It's a remake that I have to know what the original looked like. Um 
things like the chilling adventures of Sabrina on Netflix has a ton of references in it. Um, so I had to watch a lot of old films. And then when uh, the terror infamy came out, uh, it references a lot of like those Japanese uh, ghost films. So I actually had to watch a shit ton of this stuff very reluctantly. And I would do it like usually in broad daylight in an office, preferably. Sometimes I've done it in like car dealerships and stuff like that, where I haven't like it's not at home alone. you know. <laughs> so there's other people around. Um, but because of that, I've noticed that the, the like I'm going to recommend like two films, but most of the films I actually appreciated are foreign. Um, American horror films are just usually a lot more blatant, um, not just with the gore, but with the scares, the jump scares and all that type of stuff. I think I prefer the stuff that's a little bit more atmospheric, kind of uh, sometimes even playful. Um, but so the first one I'm going to recommend is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night by Anna Lily Amanpour. Uh, and it is called the first Iranian vampire Western. Basically, it's black and white. And it does follow a woman um, who wears a chador out at night. But like before that, you even see her. She's like putting on her like really heavy eye makeup in the mirror. She, uh, let's see, like rides on a um, skateboard. So she's kind of like a hip vampire. And she meets a guy and she kind of falls for him. There's a whole plot line with like a drug dealer and violence and some angry people and you know, but the other thing that I think is really cool about this is there is a cat in here that is such a fantastic actor. It's ridiculous to the point where I'm like, I need to look up this cat. And this is like years after this movie was made. So I like Google and it turns out the the director, uh, Anna Liliampur, actually calls him the Marlon Brando of cats because he was so good at acting and hitting his mark and all of that type of stuff. So I would say... 100% watch it for the cool vampire lady and the cat. Like, it's just a really cool experience. I don't think it was very scary, actually. Um, it's uh, it, it's just interesting. Um, so the next one is um, that I really enjoyed. And this is, oh, oh, first of all, actually going back, uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is like really a lot of uh, art house fans like it and so it's going to be on like shutter and stuff but if you want to watch it free it's streaming on canopy with a k and if you don't know already that's a streaming service that you can get with your library card or your university id card so you can just sign up for it online and then you can put it on your roku or whatever so and it's a great place to watch like really cool like high class films but then also like interesting documentaries and stuff like that um but anyway so this next one is Let the Right One In. It is yet another foreign film. It's Swedish, um, 2008. And you can actually stream it on Hulu right now. And it's actually kind of romantic. It's about a little girl vampire who comes friends with a little boy because she moves in next door to him. Um, his name is Oscar and her name is Ellie. And they become friends and she helps him out like when he's dealing with some bullies. Um it's very disturbing in certain ways, but not scary in the way you would think about it. Uh, and it's also very sweet. There are some cats in there. Not as cool as the cat in the first movie that I was talking about, but still some cats. 
Um, and I ended up actually kind of like laughing a few times. Um, so I highly recommend those two. If you want something kind of creepy, but not very like outright scary. Um, yes. And you do have to read some subtitles so you can't not look at, you know, you have to watch the screen. I feel like there's, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to tell a ghost Mm -hmm. story. Um, there are some people who do appreciate like the tension of like, like the, let's say American horror, like slasher style where it's like, what's behind this door? Let's approach it really, really slowly and let's separate because we're idiots. And let's like, let's hold this note for a really long time before we open this door. And I I know some people do get their like jollies off of like that tension. Um, I've always appreciated the creepy, but not the tension part of it. Yeah. Um, I noticed like when I watch American horror films, um, I hold my ears and instead of closing my eyes, how people do. And it's all because of those musical cues and sound effects are cueing you up for that jump scare. Um, so I always do that. and Or the fake yes. out. I mean, it's still yeah. a jump scare. Um, but yeah. I'm like, you you don't take out all the sound in the scene <laughs> for no reason. That's not normal. Yeah, you can tell it's coming. And so I maybe the reason why I like these two films is it's more of like supernatural and living in that world versus this is a crazy thing that's supposed to make you feel unsafe. Yeah. I mean, I, I do like speaking of Lovecraft Country, I do appreciate the new batch of like more color conscious, I guess um, horror films like Jordan Peele's like Get Out or Us and the upcoming um, Candyman, which um, which I did. I watched the original Candyman as part of a cult films class in college. And that film, that, like even the original film was about like racial tensions in like, I think it was New Orleans or I forgot where it takes yeah, place. Yeah, I think you're right. Stories like that, like when you add that, that dimension to it, it, it just adds so much more. Yeah. You know? I will actually um, watch Candyman in theaters because black female director, my 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 favorite right now, Yaya Abdul Mateen is in it. And I actually know if you, um we started when I was working as a company manager in a theater, I like had to drive Coleman Domingo around hmm. for a while. So <laughs> it's always fun to see people like you've like have met in a past life and stuff like this. So I was like, I will yeah. watch it through, you know, my finger, my fingies. <laughs> I'll probably. I mean, it's it's pretty much like it's it's Black Bloody Mary, right? That's pretty much what the Candyman mythos is, and that in itself is a terrifying story. I mean, I've wa- for like every anyone. I've watched many movies with Marvin, you know, back when that was safe, <laughs> and Marvin knows more than anyone how freaked out I get. I was losing my shit during searching. Like I was oh. like punching him. <laughs> it's tense. During st- <laughs> yeah. So I just don't handle like stress yeah. or like being angry. Yeah. I yeah. just don't handle stress well. So I was like, I really hope, I do hope theaters are open again so I can watch this with friends, maybe Marvin and punch him again. Cause I don't want to <laughs> watch this alone. This is actually do not like, yeah. yeah. This is actually why I should watch them in theaters because I won't be able to get up um, because the tenser something is, the more I pause at home uh, to break up that tension. <laughs> and I will go up, you know, off, you know, make myself a drink or something or food and do something else, you know, answer some emails and be like, okay, I can deal <laughs> with it now and go back to it. That that seems like not I mean, what you're supposed to do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with watching in theaters, right? So you can't pause mm-hmm. it so it's 
barreling forward whether yeah. you like it or not and like there are a lot of different types of horror watchers right there's a type that watches it like a normal person which <laughs> i am not i'm the type who will like kind of slink back into my chair and anticipate the tension um i know friends who are like the ah oh, hell no type which is these yell at the screen the entire time like I know, like, I had a friend who um who was part of that group that I watched The Ring with. Who he's the type that hides under his like sweater. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's me. That's me. Seriously, <laughs> we could do the whole see no evil monkey thing with us because like I'm gonna hold my ears, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just gonna hold her eyes, <laughs> close her eyes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I do. I do wish, and this is just wishful thinking for now. I mean, we do have some very accomplished horror directors. It, like, we do have some accomplished Asian American horror directors like James Wan. But, like, when will we see, like, I think the Return of Daegu episode of Lovecraft Country, like, I want to see more of those, like, the concepts of, like, Asian ghosts. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a translation that hasn't quite worked over here. Because let's say we talk about Ringu and the Grudge, um, the that Japanese sort of ghost story where malevolence and having well a grudge you know and wanting to kill people is like at heart so it, it's like almost like pure evil and whenever it gets translated here to the states it loses something besides the asian people um and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah like i want to see jungs i want to see chinese vampires i want to see like um god what are some other asian like Aswang, yeah. right? That's a well. Aswang is wild. The mm -hmm. baby sucker, <laughs> yeah, that's just crazy. And I would say, I think there's actually a series on Amazon that was doing this. It was like talking about Asian lore. Yeah, I mean, there was one episode on Grimm. That's all I remember. Yeah, um, and even I would have to say the uh, in the South Korean films have sort of revamped zombies in a different way. Uh, so, but yeah, it, like even when you get something like, let's say Snowpiercer, um, it's changed enough that it loses a lot of whatever the actual story or essence of, of it is over here. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it is spooky movie season, but I don't really have any plans to watch any spooky movies for the next couple of weeks because I am tense enough already. I'm sure both of you are as We're well. We're living in our own real life horror show. So I am watching things that are not scary. Same here. <laughs> and with that, um, I think that'll do it for our discussion of Lovecraft Country and spooky movies. Jess Han, if people want to follow your thoughts on social media, where can they go? You can find me on Twitter at Jess Jew Tweets. I am also on Twitter at Anonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yue. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and follow us online at goodpop.club. Um, we're a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-hosted podcasts. Check out our fellow shows by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And Jess Han, thanks for chatting spooky movies with us. Thanks for having us, Marvin. Ooh. Have a great Halloween week, everybody. And we'll see you next time on Good Pop. Bye, everyone. Hey, 
Brian. Did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 